Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. If you have any questions for our panelists as they're going through the discussion today, or if you'd like to suggest a topic as a, as a discussion for a future webcast, go to BibleQuest.org and fill out that form. Anytime it's in the Contact Us button. But for right now, though, we're lot we're streaming live on YouTube, and you can post your comments in the chat window at any time during the stream. And I hope you all enjoy today's program. And so, with all of that said. I'm turning this program over to you, Joe. How you doing? Welcome uh, this Wednesday afternoon. I am Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Uh, joining us, uh, we have the full cast uh, this afternoon. Jeff Smelser in Exton, Chase Byers in uh, Exton, Pennsylvania. Chase Byers in Fishers, Indiana. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Hey, guys. Good to be here. Good, good. So today we're going to look at a question that is multifaceted um, uh, and any followers be really interested, be happy to hear any questions or comments that you have on this topic of Christians meeting um, when they met and what they did when they came together or maybe another way of saying that is, is why did they meet uh, together? Um, a lot of different things that we could talk about there. But really, this webcast is the result of some questions that I received from a, a dear friend of mine. Uh, seemed to be very sincere questions, wanting to have some clarifications on some ideas and some passages. Uh, and so as we think about uh, Christians meeting together, typically, and, and this would be one of the ways that this was worded, was that in the today we find christians meeting on sundays but not on other days of the week now a lot of the churches that i'm aware of they will have a midweek bible study whether that's tuesday or wednesday or thursday uh, i know some groups that meet on tuesdays and saturdays and then on the first day of the week in addition to it but i think zeroing in on the on sunday because it appears to in most congregations that I'm aware of, that appears to have a special significance. And so the question is, why choosing that day for Christians to meet and doing certain things on that day, but not doing them all the other days or any of the other days of uh, the week? I hope that's not too muddied as an intro there. Um, but where would you guys go if you were going to begin a conversation to tell somebody, um, when Christians meet and why, uh, where would you start, do you think? Well, you know, it's always a question. Do we start with <clears throat> the fact that in New Testament times, um, Christians met at various times, or which is true, or do we start with the fact that there was one thing that was in common among Christians where they, they met, they always met on the first day of the week, um, which is also true. Um, and of course, then that gets into the distinction between the first day of the week assembly and the purposes thereof and, and, uh, the purposes of other meetings of the Christians. So I don't know where you yeah. want to talk, but I see yeah. Chase has got I, his hand up. I would even, I'll just add to that, Jeff, maybe this is part of what you were saying. Also just talking about the need for it. I mean, we want to ask why, or, or we want to ask, you know, when specifically, when is it commanded? What's the example? But maybe a good place to start is just to understand the need for it. I mean, why why should Christians be getting together on a regular basis might be a good place to start. 
Good. I, I, I like maybe, you know, we'll start out big and then try to, to narrow it down, then talk about some of the more specific questions on the first day of the week or Sunday. So why do Christians need to meet together? Uh, occasionally I will hear somebody say, I find God in the woods or I find God out on the lake. Um, uh, I find God laying in my uh, uh, recliner um, uh, or my lounge chair, you know, just looking up at the stars or whatever. Um, and indeed, we have some passages like Psalm 19 that the heavens declare God's glory. Uh, but does is there some indication in the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, that God saw the need for his people to gather together? And, and what would be the reason for that? So in 1 Corinthians 14, you have Paul talking specifically about Christians coming together in an assembly. And one of the things that is emphasized repeatedly in that chapter is the purpose of edifying one another, which is to build one another up. And Paul discourages certain behaviors that are not edifying. Um, he discourages people who are all talking at the same time from doing that, or people who are speaking in other languages that don't get translated so nobody understands. He says that's not edifying. Um, and he says in verse 26, what is it then, brethren, when you come together, each one hath a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edification. So that's that's one thing to just notice. Our coming together is to serve the purpose of building one another up. Yeah. yeah. And Mike, if I could just go back a little bit further, uh, I see chapters 12, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 as a set. Um, you know, he begins, he's talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12. He talks about that in the assembly in chapter 14, what you just alluded to. But in chapter 12, where he kind of starts this new theme of, of spiritual gifts and so forth, uh, the major component there is that we are one body and we need to be unified, even though we have different functions, different gifts, different abilities, um, uh, that we need to see ourselves as, as being one. Uh, there are differences of ministries, uh, diversities of gifts, but same spirit, difference of ministries, but the same Lord. Uh, there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. And he goes on then to make the, the point, for example, in verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, uh, of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And so I think Paul is beginning this whole thought about spiritual gifts and meeting together, particularly in, in chapter 14, uh, it becomes bigger than spiritual gifts, but the idea of meeting together is because we are supposed to be unified. Jace, go ahead. I, something that just stands out to me, too, and this might be an obvious thing to say, but the mere fact that Paul is writing, or just the apostles in general, are writing to individual churches shows you that they had interconnections in and among themselves. These were not people who were on the fringe you don't have problems with people if you're constantly ignoring each other. So just reading these epistles, you can tell they're writing to a group of people whose lives are woven together and interconnected, not on like a monthly basis where they see each other, but what looks like a daily, definitely weekly basis. And the one that jumps off the page to me is 1 Thessalonians 5, where he tells them to encourage one another, build each other up. 
But then he talks about uh, giving recognition among those who labor among you and uh, to help the weak, to comfort the discouraged. Don't stifle the spirit, test all things, hold on to what is good. I mean, all of these encouragements don't really make sense if th these people don't know each other and don't spend time together. And so that, that could be said of all the epistles. So maybe that's too obvious of a statement to make, but I think it's a good place to see. So it seems like the New Testament writers then begin with that assumption that, that yes. God's people are going to get together. That's a pretty good argument if, you, if you're already assuming that you are going to spend a lot of time together. If I could back up, Joe, you kind of alluded to a mentality that, that is out there that people, it kind of goes along with this, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, or I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual kind of mentality. If I can use the term libertarian, and that, now, if you're feeling more and more libertarian in, in terms of politics in the United States, it's okay with me. I'm not trying to put you down or anything. But when it comes to our spiritual life, I think there's a, a libertarian streak amongst some of us that wants to think that I religion should not impel, compel me to do anything. It should not impose upon me any obligations. Uh, I should just be able to be free. And if I want to go and worship with some people this Sunday, that's great. Maybe I will. But there's no real obligation or commitment there. I just have my one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. I preached a lesson two Sundays ago, a lesson I think I called it the Camp of Israel. And uh, we looked at the picture in the book of Numbers of, of how the camp was to be organized. And God was very specific in talking about the tribes that would camp to the east of the tabernacle, the tribes that would camp to the south, the west, and the north. And then when they would move out, exactly in what order they would move out. These tribes would move out first. And, and then following that, these Levites would move out with these parts of the tabernacle. And then following that, these other tribes would move out. And then following that, these, and so on. It's very, very specific. And I made the point that, what you see in that, among other things, is the fact that God is a God of order, and his people, therefore, are to reflect that order. And that when you start talking about a community of people, God's people, Christians, if they're going to function as a community, and, it, and especially if as a community they're going to try to accomplish anything, they're going to have goals, they're going to have tasks, they're going to have, we're going to see to it that the widows get taken care of, whatever it be, there's going to have to be some order, and that order is going to require leadership. And you look at 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul talks about the assembly, and one of the things you see is in verse 33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. God is a God of order. We are to reflect that in our lives. When we come together in our assemblies, we're to reflect that. So if I had the idea that my religion shouldn't have any kind of structure to it, um, maybe I'm not on the same page with the God who is a God of order. A very valid point. Uh, I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, what passages would an individual use to, uh, to to justify not not having any obligations toward others, um, and, and 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 really an obligation to toward themselves to grow? It might be a bit presumptuous to think that I don't need others to help me draw closer to God. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that's something worth saying. Like maybe to. Go over to Acts two and see 
as the Christians are first being described following the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we see them gathering together. Um, uh, you have there on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the other apostles preach the wonderful works of God. Uh, 3,000 souls are, are added to, to the Lord on that day. And it talks about that those who uh, were added following Acts 2.41 and verse 42, it describes what they did. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Um, maybe key first, I, I don't know, maybe it'd be better to do it in the order that they're listed. But the thing that jumps out to me there is that idea of fellowship. Mm -hmm. uh, the joint participation yeah. um, that pretty well insists on, uh, you know, a, a community uh, activity, doesn't it? I mean, you can't have fellowship without another fellow. Would you like to share this pie with me? Well, there's got to be two of you to share the pie. <laughs> I know yeah. get a box of donuts, and Joe may not be talking about sharing. He's good yeah, by yeah. himself. But. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 don't get carried away with this idea of fellowship and include food. Um, but uh, yeah, so the idea that that they did get together. Now, this text doesn't tell us this verse doesn't tell us how often. It just says they did it. They they continued steadfastly, meaning that they did it on a very regular basis, right? Um, uh, this was something that was constant for them. And in this list, I guess it's arguable, but it seems like Acts 2.42 is talking about all spiritual things. The apostles' teaching or doctrine, um, uh, fellowship, breaking of bread. We need to talk about what that phrase means. And then in prayers. And so those seem to be, at least they can be, all spiritual activities. I don't think they, if they were in other contexts, they wouldn't necessarily have to be. But Would following you, up, that they they were they were new in Christ, and so then here's how they're going to to grow. Go ahead, Jeff. You had, sorry to say something. I just I don't want to take us down this this tangent too far. But would you suppose that particularly the term fellowship here, which does mean sharing, given what plays out in um, Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6 in terms of the disciples sharing in their possessions to take care of one another. After all, you've got a bunch of new Christians from different countries who are basically homeless now because they've decided to stay in Jerusalem to be able to share in the apostles' teaching. That maybe one of the prominent aspects of the sharing that's mentioned in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 is that sharing in, in their possessions so that they could provide for one another. I, I think verse 44 goes on and, and explains that very well. I think you're exactly right. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. That sounds kind of like a, a fuller yeah. definition of the word fellowship. I think so, yeah. They, they all who believed were together and they had all things in common. But they also assembled together. You get right. to verse uh, 46, and here, day by day, they're meeting with one accord, is what this old translation says, in the temple. And so one of the questions that came up, and, and this is good that we, we reached this point, uh, one of the questions that came up was, so in the first century, we see Christians meeting on a daily basis. 
But what is generally emphasized by preachers or teachers or, you know, whatever uh, tracks and books and things is that we need to meet on the first day of the week. And if we meet on any other days, that's sort of extra credit, if you will. You know, that that's just a, an extra benefit. Um, uh, you know, it's good that we study midweek or whatever, but but we have to meet on the first day of the week. Would this passage, I, I, I just mean this as a question, should this passage be binding? Uh, so you, you made the statement a moment ago in the, in the New Testament, we see the meeting on a daily basis. Maybe we reword that and say we see, at least here, an example of the meeting on a daily basis, but we also see other indications in the New Testament where that might not have been the case. In other words, while in some part, in some places and at some points in New Testament times, they met daily, at others they didn't. I, I would say Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 is an indication, uh, as I read that text, where they were not meeting every day in, an, in Troas because Paul and his company had gotten to Troas and stayed there for seven days, after which the first day of the week comes in verse 7, and, it's, and Luke says, we were gathered together to break bread. Paul discoursed with them. It's not explicitly saying Paul hadn't gotten together to talk with them before that, but the impression is that that that's what happened. They were there for seven days, and then they got together, and Paul had an opportunity to speak to all of them. Yeah, I, I think that's correct. Uh, I certainly have no opposition to people getting together on a daily basis. I, I think it would be a stretch maybe um, just to uh, to force that all of the Christians got together every day um uh, that that would be pretty tough maybe here in the very beginning because this is such a unique scenario maybe they did that like you said you've got a lot of people that have not gone back home from the day of pentecost they're sticking around because now they want to know more about christ so this is a really big deal but then when we get to the end of acts chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8 they're going to be scattered all over the place and so the scenario the, or the scene is going to change at that point um, but if somebody's conscience would drive them to say, I, I need to be with Christians on a daily basis, then by all means, uh, you know, look for those opportunities. When you baptize somebody, do you often continue to study with them? Uh, certainly try to. Yeah. And when you do continue to study with them in the first few weeks after they're baptized, do you find that you study more frequently with them than say five years later? That's all, always the goal is to try to feed them as much as I can early to ground them in the in the, the faith. I think that's what we see here in Acts two. I think you kind of described it. You've got these new Christians. They are they are at a time and place where they need to get so to soak up as much as it, as it says of the apostles' teaching as they can, mm -hmm. and so they're doing that. And so, when they met together. Then they did these spiritual activities in chapter 242, but they weren't limited to just those things. And maybe verse 46 helps us to understand what they did on a daily basis, even. Uh, it uses the word daily. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And so uh they were meeting together on a regular on a daily basis but they were also getting together in people's homes um strengthening one another encouraging one another and you have this idea of breaking bread talked about in verse 46 
it's the same idea, same phrase, right? That was used in verse 42. Um, but it seems like this is something that's going on in people's homes. Can we define what breaking bread means here? That was one of the questions that was posed for us. So your knee-jerk reaction is to look at the end of verse 46, where it says they ate their food and with, with joyful and sincere hearts. The party wants to connect it there. You know, so this is just another way of them saying they were sharing meals together. And just like we would if we were at one another's home for Bible study or singing together or something, it would be very common for us to want to eat together. Um, I've had meals in, in both of your all's homes, for, for, you know, around those same exact circumstances. Now, but then looking earlier at what you just said about the breaking of bread in verse uh, 42, there seems to be a more spiritual component there. Is that is that a connection to the Lord's Supper? And I don't know if you guys want to go to Acts 20 yet and look at that, but I do think it's worth noting that same phrasing is used in Acts 20 and verse 7 whenever Paul is gathered with the saints at Troas on the first day of the week to break bread. Yeah, Almost certainly, I would think that that's the Lord's Supper. So should you read that back into Acts 2.42? I don't know. That's a good question. So... Yeah, let me let me just pause that just for a second. I do think it's very important that we deal with that. Um, maybe just define breaking bread, uh, because um, in these passages he doesn't mention the the drink. He he doesn't mention the fruit of the vine. He doesn't mention the he mentions bread, but he doesn't mention uh, the grape juice that we would associate with the Lord's Supper. Those two elements. Sure. Um, uh, but I would also suggest that that's not necessary. That's not necessary to to speak of both uh, the bread and the grape juice any more than uh, recognizing that the word bread here, or the word bread when it's used in other places, isn't limited to only a loaf of bread. It 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 indicates eating a meal or eating food, right? Um, thinking about Matthew fifteen might be a, a passage where you know, they were uh, eating their bread without washing their hands. Well, was it only bread that was the concern? Uh, I, I think bread is symbolic here. Um, happy to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, this expression, break bread, in fact, I think I actually think Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 fairly well illustrates it. The, the breaking bread uh, in this context means to have a meal. Right. Um, you know, you guys... If I said, hey, why don't you guys come home and break bread with me this afternoon? If you got to my house and I just handed you a slice of bread, you might be a little disappointed. But if you were bold enough to say, well, uh, this bread's a little dry. Could I have anything to drink? I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't offer you anything to drink. I just said break bread. Yeah. Well, you, you didn't even offer for us to eat it. Yeah, I just just break it. <laughs> yeah, you see that, that. So that's a descriptive term to talk about eating a meal. You're breaking bread. Yeah, uh, maybe Acts 27. I might would throw in there too. I hadn't really thought about it, but when they're in the shipwreck and Paul encourages them to take food, and it says he had taken some bread and broken it, and they ate it. Um, but but maybe that's that's a good another place to see that it could be. I mean, there's a very bread. literal idea to taking a loaf and breaking it and passing it around, and yet the expression really means to when when they when it says when it says in breaking bread at home, he's not just talking about taking loaves and breaking them in half and setting them. Aside. Or, he's talking about they're dining. They're dining. Yeah. Or 
and then Mark 14, of course, with Jesus saying that there, one of you is dipping in the bowl with me with the bread is going to betray me. So just the, the general idea of supping together. Yeah. And, and I do take this expression in Acts 2.46, breaking bread, as just their daily nutritional needs. It says they took their food with gladness and singleness of heart. And so in the context, it seems like there's making a distinction between verse 42 and verse 46. Uh, that's a that's a, a debatable thing, but I'm just trying to be fair to this passage because of other passages. You know, um, this isn't just in a vacuum. And so, Chase, you talked about Acts chapter 20. Why don't we jump over to that then? Uh, I said I wanted to pause there to make sure we were defining what breaking bread is. And so we have that term then used in the same way. It doesn't mention any drink um, uh, in this text, right? Uh, verse 7. That's right. It says, on the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. And Paul spoke to them. And since he was about to depart the next day, he kept talking until midnight. And so if this is a common meal, then they, they waited to eat this common meal on the first day of the week. Um, or maybe they waited to eat a meal together on the first day of the week. I think it could be argued that way. Um, but there's something about this first day of the week. Um, is that only because it was after the days of unleavened bread in verse 6? Or is there something more significant to the first day of the week? Well, that's the good question. Is there any special significance in the New Testament to the first day of the week? Um, and we don't have to read very much before we realize there is. So you, you get just into the first gospel. Um, when you get to the end of the first gospel, and you've got Jesus being raised from the dead on the first day of the week, same in the second gospel, and the third gospel, and the fourth gospel. They all make a point of Jesus being raised from the dead on the first day of the week. Uh, and there are other things. You get into the book of Acts. Um, you know, somebody long ago made the point Luke, who writes the book of Acts, never, he, he's a careful historian. He's, he, he chronicles things, but never does he in the entire book of Acts talk about what day of the week it was, except to say if it was the Sabbath day, which was significant. Paul would go into some city and he would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, going where he would find Jews, when he would find Jews uh, to, to preach to them. Other than that, he never mentions what day of the week it was, whether it was the third day from the Sabbath or the fourth day or whatever, except here. For some reason, Luke thinks it's important to say it was the first day of the week, or more literally, the way he says it, the first day from Sabbath, the first day after the Sabbath. Yeah. Why, does, why does Luke do that? Apparently, Luke thinks the day here is significant. And so, uh, yeah, and, and we have then... The, 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 the day that Jesus was raised from the dead is the appropriate day for us to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, uh, that this bread and this fruit of the vine, this grape juice, representing his body and his blood is what brings about our salvation. And I, I would suggest that it's not just the crucifixion, but the you can't separate the crucifixion from the resurrection when you're talking about the, the hope that we have and, and the memorial of Christ. Those things go together in what every sermon in the book of Acts, you know, you have that, that that's a that's a set. 
And, and so the, the first day of the week is kind of the exclamation point. It's the culmination of those events. And so the celebration is then on, or the memorial is on that day. Chase? Oh, what, Go ahead, Chase. What do you guys do with verse 11 of this same story? After this young man falls out of the window and Paul raises him up, they go upstairs, break the bread, and eat. And Paul talks a long time until dawn. Yeah. Do you connect that with the breaking of bread in verse seven, or is this a meal? So I, I don't. I, I think that this is a regular meal. It talks about him individually doing this in verse eleven. I wouldn't make a big issue. I don't see that it is a um, a contra. It needs to be a controversy, but maybe that's just my weakness in, in understanding things. Um, but it seems to be more describing Paul's taking in some nourishment and then he's going to go on preaching. He's been preaching until midnight when this happens. Now he's going to keep preaching until uh, daybreak. And so he, he takes a, a, a little takes a moment to, to eat something. Um, maybe it's the Lord's Supper. I wouldn't have a major issue either way. But the pronouns to me, I, I'm, seems like it's probably the individual. It's funny. I had actually never read in verse 11, it being Paul who breaks the bread and eats it. You thought of Eutychus. Um, I thought it was Eutychus. So. And, 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 and I think that, that I have heard that before. I think there's merit to thinking that way. You know, you look at people like the girl in Mark 5 that Jesus had raised from the dead. And after she was raised, he said, give her something to eat, uh, yeah. probably indicating that show that it is a bodily resurrection and not just a spirit or something. And so maybe that yeah. is the case here. Maybe it is just you. I think verse 12, when it says, and they brought the lad alive is Luke's way of returning his attention to the, to Eutychus, which means that verse 11 would be seen as having been talking about Paul. Yeah. I, I think there's arguments either way. And I think there's also, it, it is in the same context of breaking bread. Again, I, I'm I'm okay with people taking that verse eleven in those different ways. I, I'm not going to be real sure. I think it's Paul, but but I wouldn't uh, argue long over any of that. But but if we could go back to the fact that it makes a point of saying this was the first day of the week in verse seven. So we mentioned that Jesus was raised on the first day of the week, but not only that, I, I think there's a fairly strong case to be made that the day of Pentecost in Acts two. Uh, was on the first day of the week. So the church begins on the first day of the week. Right. Um, we do see Paul writing to the church at Corinth uh, in such a way that implies they are gathering on the first day of the week in, in 1 Corinthians 16. Um, you mentioned, Joe, you were talking about the idea that the resurrection goes with the crucifixion. You know, Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus wasn't ra raised, our faith is vain. You could put that another way. The crucifixion is meaningless if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Right. And in Colossians 2, Paul uses language. It's really victory language associated, I believe, with the resurrection. Um, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, he talks about the bond that was written in ordinances that was against us being blotted out. In verse 15, he says, having despoiled the principalities and the powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. But that would not have been true if he had not been raised. It's really the resurrection of Jesus that is the 
I like your your exclamation point on Jesus' victory. We start looking at this concept of Jesus coming to do war with Satan. And he goes to the cross and he dies, and it looks like Satan has won, and yet then he is raised from the dead. He brings to naught him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse about verse 14 there. Mm-hmm. And so you see this idea of a conflict and a victory. And so you have the idea, the first day of the week is, is Jesus' victory day, which then I think helps us understand in Revelation 1.10 when John is said to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? He, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Uh, most take that, and I think almost universally so, and it has to be so, is talk about the first day of the week. Uh, this is the Lord's victory day. And so you were asking the question, Joe, in Acts 20 and verse 7, what is it about the first day of the week? Why, why did they come together to break bread on the first day of the week? It's the Lord's day. It's what it's called in Revelation 1 and verse 10. Right. So, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I appreciate that. Uh, and, and tying together Revelation 1, I think, is, is really helpful. Um, uh, again, what we're looking at is preponderance of evidence, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have one passage that's where we have a command. You Christians get together on the first day of the week and partake of what's up. We have examples. And then we have uh, looking at these other passages, we can uh, conclude uh, that there are there's motive for for seeing that example here uh, let me touch on a a detail here again part of the questions that i received back in acts 20 so they gathered together on the first day of the week paul preaches until midnight um is this jewish calendar or is this uh you know is is this from sundown to to sundown uh, so what we would think of as Saturday night until Sunday night or, you know, 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. Or is this a the way that we would count time from midnight to midnight? That might be important. Maybe we should, you know, see if we need to get a handle on that. Um, uh, are we partaking of it? If we do it on the fir- what we say the first day of the week, we're partaking of it on Sunday uh, morning for the most, uh, most part. But were they partaking of it Saturday night? What we would think of as Saturday night because they were following the Jewish calendar. Thoughts on that? So, you know what? I I don't know. Um, and I don't really think it, it matters if it's, if it's the Lord's day and you, and the way the Lord's day is counted here in, in, in this place, they start at this time and go to this time. And in, in some other place, they, they start the day a different time and to go to a different time. Okay, but it, my my thought is what is likely. This is in Troas. Troas is not a Jewish city. It's being written by Luke. Luke is not a Jew. We generally understand Luke to be a Gentile. Um, his reference to the first day of the week isn't so much about Jewish calendars as it is about Jesus' resurrection. Um, so, and, and so when we think about Jesus's resurrection, where do we normally think about that in the course of the day? Early in the morning. Yeah. 
Um, uh, you know, so uh, I think that maybe trying to uh, and and split hairs, but I don't mean that in any in any bad way. You know, I think we have sometimes we come across some of these questions, and and it, they're they're matters of conscience. We we want to make sure that we're doing it right. Um, uh, but I think that's one of the passages, one of the thoughts that helps me to see that maybe what we are doing is the right way to do it. Is that Jesus? You know, we have his, his his appearance, his resurrection early in the morning, his appearance in the morning on the first day of the week. Um, uh, and so uh, I, I think there is at least validity if we're going to tie those things together. But I think you're right. Also recognizing both Troas and Luke as as non-Jews, probably well, Luke non-Jew, uh, the church in Troas, non-Jewish primarily, then uh, I think that we would we're, we're not going to impose Jewish time on the Greek culture. Um, go ahead, Chase. You got something else, else there? Yeah. Well, no, just really tied to the Lord's Supper idea. It really is. It's an important question because, I mean, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he makes it clear that this is something that he wants us to do. Um, and Paul reiterates that in 1 Corinthians 11, that this is why we do this. And so naturally a question should be, well, how often should I be doing this? And where else in the New Testament do we see them doing this and when? And so I think these are all good questions to have. I just wanted to tie it back to Jesus originally instituting it. That there should be a desire for us to want to gather together to do this because Jesus said to. But in the, on the question of you know time of day, because when we start asking was this Jewish time or Roman time or or whatever, um, you know what that's alluding to is the fact that Jews would start counting uh, Sabbath at sundown on Friday evening, and so then is the first day of the week to be start. You do start counting that Saturday evening. Should we be eating the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, meaning Saturday evening? That's kind of where this question right. is coming from, where it goes. And related to it, somebody will emphasize it's called the Lord's Supper. So should we do it in the evening? Um, and um, so I'll just make these comments real quickly. The word, the, the Greek word here used for uh, supper is a word that was used for the main meal of the day. It was sometimes the evening meal. However, usually in the culture, it was a late afternoon meal. Um, but it was also, the word was also used of a meal at midday. And in a case or two, it was also used of a meal that was at the beginning of the day. But it was generally, whatever day it was being used, it was the big meal of the day. Uh, so the point is, in the word itself doesn't point to an evening meal. I would say in Acts chapter 20, and verse 7, it likely was at evening. Generally speaking, in that culture, Sunday was not a day everybody had off and, you know, watch football. Um, but it was a work day and they would have to come together after work in, in the evening. But the, in calling it the Lord's Supper, the focus is not so much on evening. And it's really not even focused upon it's a big meal because this is a ceremonial meal. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, if any man is hungry, let him eat at home. So this is this meal, even though it's called a supper, is not for the purpose of filling your belly. But it's called a supper to emphasize the social aspect of sharing a meal uh, because this is a shared meal. And, and there was a great deal of significance in ancient times and throughout the Bible 
upon eating together having significance. And so I'll just make those thoughts. Yeah, I think yeah. Revelation 19 uses that word supper twice. One, to talk about the marriage supper with the lamb, and the other is the supper that the vultures are invited to, to eat on the carcasses of the enemies. Um, uh, and so we're, we're talking about a major event, not necessarily the time of the event. But yeah, the, the, yeah. Almost like a, it's almost it is. It's a, it's a title. I mean, Paul, is that the only place Lord's Supper is used is in First Corinthians 11? Yes, it is. Yeah. So Paul, when he calls it that, he goes on to say down in verse 23, I received from the Lord what I pass on to you on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread and he recounts, hey, it happened at night. So I agree with you guys. All I'm saying is that's why it's part of the title. It was a supper. It was at night. And when you hear Lord's Supper, your mind is supposed to go back to that original institution on the night Jesus was betrayed. And it brings your mind to the images of the cross, the very things we're supposed to be remembering when we partake of it anyways. And so it really is a very packed title for this meal um that is maybe supposed to take us back to the night jesus was betrayed and, well, and likewise when we go back to that night we don't replicate everything not just from the time but we don't replicate the passover food as well um, or the upper room or anything yeah right right but that that title as you as you put it chase lord's supper is also supposed to take our minds to the lord's day um mm -hmm. If you if you think of a special day that is the Lord's, and there's a special supper that is the Lord's, might you suppose that supper goes with that day? Uh, so, and and there's actually something about the way the language is constructed in the original language, how it says Lord's in both of those two passages. It's the only two places in the New Testament where it does it this way, and it's talking about a Lordish supper, a Lordish day, or a day pertaining to the Lord. A supper pertaining to the to the a day pertaining to the Lord, um, and and so that construction ties those two ideas together. The Lord's Supper belongs to the Lord's Day. Yep. We've got just uh, about three minutes left. Let me touch on this last question that is related. And Jeff, you alluded to it earlier. In First Corinthians sixteen, we see the Paul's instruction for the church in Corinth to do something on the first day of the week, not, you know, separate apart from the Lord's Supper. Um, you knew I had to work that in somewhere. I was going to do it this time. <laughs> I, I, I was ready. I was so ready. I was gonna... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't give you the opening. So when we look at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, now concerning the collection of the saints, as I've given orders to the church in Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And so on the Paul is assuming, again, I think this adds strength. Paul is assuming that they were going to get together on the first day of the week. It's what he's told other churches to do. But on the first day of the week, you need to do this. He's not saying he, the command is not to assemble on the first day of the week. The command is to have a collection on the first day of the week. So it's assuming that they were assembling, I would say. But uh, part of the question comes up is, were they laying this aside in their homes or was this a collective uh, uh, 
uh, fund? You know, what, was this something that was taken up and and held uh, held as a in a purse or whatever, uh, so to speak? And I think verse two answers that question for us: that there be no collections when I come. If everybody was keeping it in their homes in the mason jar or whatever, then they would have had a had a collection when Paul came together. And so they were meeting together, and that as a part of their meeting together, they were having a collection for this purpose that he's describing here in 1 Corinthians 16. So again, another passage that shows that Christians did meet together, shows that they did have a collection. And I think, you know, again, seeing that is associated in the same book, 1 Corinthians, that's not an unimportant detail. They met together to take the Lord's Supper, they met together on the first day of the week. They already were doing that. Paul says, you need to make sure you get, have, have your collections already there. So when I come through, you don't everybody doesn't have to run back to their house and, and gather. Would you see that the same or different or something you, I'm missing there? No, I think, I, I think that's the way I see that. Any other thoughts, guys? I had one, but as Nebuchadnezzar said, the thing has gone from me. Okay. <laughs> well, the handwriting is on the wall that it is 345. So we will stop here then. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you've been edified and encouraged. And uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to, uh, to put those in the comments section. Thanks and have a good day. So, so Chase just